Hashtag SAFMLNC. We are talking right now about the fact that uh, zoologists should learn from zootonic pandemics. And um, joining us in the studio, well, telephonically while I'm in the studio, <laughs> is Professor, uh, who is uh, going to be explaining to us exactly what is going on and where can we find some key learnings. We've got uh, Associate Professor from the University of Free State, Elisa LaRue. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor LaRue. Yes, thanks for calling. Now, Professor LaRue, it seems that uh, some of the pandemics that we have faced, and I'll name some of the bigger ones, COVID-19 and HIV, are pandemics that are, 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 you know, not uh, autonomous by nature. And they Mm. are pandemics that need some sort of host or some sort of DNA. But it has come to our attention that ultimately most of these, especially the two that I've mentioned, COVID-19 and um, HIV, could possibly be zoological in origin. Could you please, Mm. uh, perhaps, let's start by explaining to us um, maybe the, the origins and then from there onwards, what key learnings we can get when we look at zoology and the human form and these particular pandemics? Sure, uh, that's quite a mouthful. Um, but yes, we know that uh, quite a lot of the viruses that affect us so powerfully are zoonotic in origin. So they come from animal hosts. And um, the challenge then is that uh, as we interact with animals in whatever way we do, whether we eat them or just get into close proximity to them, um, these viruses have a chance of jumping to us. And uh, HIV originated in um, chimpanzees and um, other apes. Uh, And we think, we don't know, but uh, it seems like uh, this latest version of the coronavirus originated in um, bats, potentially a close relative of the horseshoe bat. Um, But these are not the only zoonotic diseases, uh, we, we know of quite a few and actually uh, researchers have been expecting that there'd be a few more outbreaks or even pandemics uh, around about now, I guess. Um, for example, I, still, I think of it every time I go donate blood, I still have to fill out a form saying if I got in touch with cows in England, she notes from the 1990s when that cow disease originated there, uh, which shows you that uh, these zoonotic diseases are not necessarily from you know, exotic wildlife, but from animal origins. Uh, and in the animals, it doesn't necessarily cause any kind of disease or any kind of illness. And this is why, you know, we don't know to stay away from them necessarily because they're not walking around uh, coughing like we would be if, if we caught the coronavirus. Um, so it's, it's a little bit um, scary if you think about it that way because we do not know what viruses animals might have that we could catch. And at the same time, the way we interact with animals, it, it, it tends to cause some problems. For example, uh, diseases, viruses specifically, they, they really replicate a lot. Uh, and They get to um, mutate a lot if they have a lot of different hosts that they can jump to and so on. So if we keep a lot of individual animals close together in close quarters like we do, uh, we tend to do with, say, chickens, for example, we create the perfect breeding grounds for potential future um, jumps to human hosts, which is 
again, a little bit frightening to my mind. Definitely very frightening for all of us. I mean, there's the likes of the swine flu, the likes of the bird flu, and uh, mm-hmm. most of these, the origin would be from animals that we, we, are, yes. we are always in contact with, either via eating or breeding or yes. keeping as pets. Now, what is it that one should be aware of, especially um, along the lines of um, the fact that in animals, these particular diseases could be prevalent, but they will not cause the animal to cough or have any signs or symptoms. But when they come into human beings, then we can have these. So what sort of measures Mm. should we take before we even put the responsibility on zoologists? Mm. Well, we need to be um, more proactive about this. I mean, we can't pretend that we don't know by now that uh, animal that a, a new disease can just you know crop up from a, from wildlife and therefore i think one of one of the big things that say zoologists and so on should be doing is to be proactively monitoring what's going on in the animals that we're studying because you know zoologists study everything from the tiniest field mouse to the biggest whale um, and then we tend to, we tend to focus on whatever our research question might be but you can quite readily um, obtain viral data from these animals. You could, even just from feces, you can uh, actually figure out what kind of viruses they have in their um, guts. Uh, and we're not doing this proactively because it costs money. <laughs> and, and therefore, I think it is something that we should start doing because that's a huge call at the moment, at least in the research world, um, that we don't know, we, we, we're not monitoring even diseases that we know are caused by uh, spillover between humans and wildlife, like rabies, which is a fatal zoonotic disease. We do find monitoring that in um, humans and monitoring it in dogs, domestic dogs, but uh, we don't do so well when it comes to monitoring the carnivores, the wild carnivores where it can originate, or where we know it is. So we need to monitor better. Um, and as for other animals, the animals we eat, who we actually do know that if we cram animals together in a small space, like if we cram humans together in a small space, we create uh, perfect transmission grounds for viruses. So this is something that we should start you know, addressing in our animal husbandry practices, I believe. Now, Professor LaRue, you mentioned the fact that uh, when it comes to this particular research of uh, zootonic um, diseases, it's quite expensive and pricey. Right now, mm-hmm. with the COVID-19 being so prevalent around the world, don't you think that then this is the time for scientists, zoologists, departments, governments across the world to invest in more research uh, when it comes to uh, zootonics and also to give more arm and more leg for zoologists to be able to do this research because perhaps this is where our cures may come from perhaps this is where we could stop an outbreak in the future no absolutely and there's quite a lot of um covid specific calls for um, applications for research that's out there right now and the majority is really focused on the here and now how we can uh, treat the disease as it is in humans, not so much um, predicting future similar outbreaks, uh, but there's definitely a lot of funding right now out there, and uh, virologists and epidemiologists and so on um, should be jumping on these opportunities. Uh, and, and hopefully, hopefully, there's also 
steers future directions of research, and especially in Africa. Uh, we have a, a slowly but surely growing focus on how important uh, basic research is on the continent. And, and governments are starting to give more money for research, and especially on this continent where we have so much wildlife and such a fast-growing population of humans. You know, the human-animal interaction is bound to increase. So hopefully this is a wake-up call to say, hey, we should definitely be investing money in uh, these biological sciences too, not just the technology uh, which we all do want to invest in. So clearly, us as human beings need to be very aware of um, the, the, our interactions with animals, but also be mm-hmm. aware of our environment, because it seems like it's not only just a, a case for zoologists, but also a case for zoologists and environmentalists and medical practitioners alike who mm. need to mm. come together because when it comes from animals, then it, like, like what we are experiencing now with the COVID-19, coming from bats, um, as it's currently being uh, assumed, coming from bats, but we don't know how exactly it got into the human body. Was it via consumption or because the bats were flying around in our communities? And and, and then it looks like everyone needs to work together to be able to come up with solutions or else we might find ourselves at the very same juncture with a different pandemic in the future. Yes, I absolutely agree. And what you didn't mention was how important the social scientists specifically are, uh, you know, how uh, people that know how to study human behavior, which is somewhat different from the other animals, uh, it's very important that we bring people together from different fields uh, to, to contribute their expertise to focus projects. What are the focus areas right now when it comes to zootonics and uh, uh, pandemics? So, yeah, for good reasons, the focus areas would all be uh, trying to find some sort of uh, vaccine or uh, a different kind of um, therapy or some kind of treatment of the symptoms to reduce the likelihood of, of uh, death, basically. Uh, I know that there's a lot of focus on this current disease, trying to identify its its origins, but that is a little bit uh, less less urgent than just trying to see how we may develop a proper vaccine, whether it is through uh, using antibodies or something similar, um, and, and the treatment of the symptoms. I know that there's a lot of research being done on that, and as it should be. Mm, definitely, we do need this research to come through. We've got a caller on the line, and I'd like to remind everyone listening that you can join in on the conversation. Give us your um, understanding of our topic, or even give us a bit of knowledge or, under- or, or examples of how we can perhaps be able to curb some of these uh, pandemics or disease breakouts that might come from animals. And we are speaking to Professor um, um, uh, Aliza LaRue, I almost said Amal LaRue, <laughs> and that's a musician. <laughs> so, um, Aliza, uh, Professor Aliza uh, LaRue, who is an associate professor at the University of the Free State, we are speaking about zoologists that need or perhaps need to look into um, zootonic pandemics. The number to dial is very simple 011 714 if you want to call in, alternatively 0891 If you'd like to SMS, us you can do so on four one three nine one 
or WhatsApp us on 0614-104-107. On DSTV, we're on channel 814. And remember that we are also on social media platforms at SAFM Radio at Patricia N. Dooley. Professor, we've got someone on the line here. But before we get them on, I just want you to tell me something. When it comes to the the, the fact, like I, when we started off the conversation, you did mention that HIV is said to have come from um, the the... the ape family and now yes. COVID-19 is coming from the bat family but it's not really founded how did research get to the point that we are assuming this and there's no real foundation because that also gives us a bit of uh, unease as human beings uh, I'm not quite sure what you mean but with when we try to figure out the origins of these diseases in animals we basically do what you know, like a paternity test or trying to figure out your uh, your origins by looking at your DNA and seeing what matches we can find or how closely it matches uh, what we know in, in you know other people. And uh, for the viruses, therefore, we I think we know the full genome of about 17,000 different viruses. Uh, and then we compare the, this novel virus, so the novel coronavirus, or we compare the, the uh, HIV uh, virus genome with what we know uh, of viruses in different animal species. And then we try to see what is it most similar to and therefore what it is most likely to be um, uh, where it was most likely to originate. And I know with the horseshoe bats, for example, we found like a 94% similarity with the, the, the virus that's in the bat uh, compared to the virus that's in the humans. Would there be any merit if we were to say, let's partition ourselves, even those with pets, those who have uh, chicken coops and cows and so on, to then say perhaps this area only animals are allowed here and in this particular area um, of any um, a country or any province, then it's human beings. And only people who are scientists or people who are, who are able to understand animals should be able to interact with animals in order for us to curb even things like rabies and the likes. Yeah, well, we would have to be. Uh, we would have to consider all the practicalities of mm. that, and I and I don't think. I mean, we can't even get people to wear masks right now. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, tell know. me about it. <laughs> <laughs> so controlling people's behavior and compartmentalizing us like that, I don't think it is feasible. Nor is it necessarily um, worth all of that effort to mm. try and enforce these rules, because the rules have to make sense. The rules have to. Uh, be related to the the risk that you're facing. You know, with everything we do, even just driving a car, you you're facing the risk of death every day. But you take your precautions. You put on you put on your safety belt. You drive on the correct side of the road and those things. Uh, so if the correct um, if, if if the right hygiene standards are maintained, it it is pretty safe. But those rules and regulations need to be um, maintained and need to make sense to people. Uh, we also, you know, human beings, we don't like to adopt new rules unless they're easy and make sense to us. So if, if it's a little bit too difficult, we won't do it. If it's a little bit too, I don't see that the risk is high, I, I don't do it. <laughs> so you have to consider all of those uh, 
Yeah, definitely. We, and I, I think education around uh, animals as well and quick information dissemination when uh, an outbreak comes out would really definitely help. And we see that yeah. the COVID-19 pandemic has been handled relatively better than other pandemics we faced as yeah. a, a globe because communication has always been on the dot, very spontaneous. And that's one of the mm-hmm. things that have, has helped us because researchers and zoologists have come out, as you have done today, mm-hmm. to just give us more information. Yes. No, I agree. I'm, I'm so glad for all of the positive and correct information that's out there. But of course, there's also a lot of conspiracy theories out oh. there. And we always, yeah, we always like those. We're drawn to the exciting stuff, aren't we? Mm. So, <laughs> you can't blame us, eh? We're all humans. We like a bit of excitement. Mm. Now, uh, and, and just in uh, parting, uh, uh, Professor LaRue, what is it that mm. you can uh, give us as a parting shot when it comes to zootonic pandemics? For me, uh, what we should be taking from this zoonotic pandemic is that we need to take better care of our relationship with the animals around us, and that includes the animals we eat. I'm not saying we should stop eating meat entirely, but I think we need to develop a bit of a greater respect for nature, and that includes those animals that we have domesticated and don't have necessarily a lot of respect for. And if we can treat them a little bit more humanely and maybe view meat especially as something to eat once or twice a week rather than, you know, every day. Mm, what are you I, trying I, to say, girl? <laughs> I know, no bacon for breakfast. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm trying myself. I have I have a meat free day or two in a week. But if we can if we can do that, you know, if we can get a culture of, you know, meat is not something you have to eat with every meal. We we will put less demand on farmers to actually cram chickens into, you know, smaller and smaller spaces or uh, feed pigs and other animals weird things that they shouldn't be eating, you know. And uh, therefore, as consumers, we are partly responsible for potentially what could be a next uh, pandemic. So I think we need to um, try to respect our domestic animals a little bit more as well as our wild animals. Thank you so very much, Professor LaRue. We really appreciate the depth of information you've given us this evening. You're very welcome.